Hello again, ladies and gentlemen. Ghost Nobody here, ready to bring you Chapter 42 of The Enemy of My Enemy, the second of my EVP fanfictions. As always, I do hope that you've been enjoying this little t retelling of the tale that I wrote so many years ago. And as always, if you can like, share and subscribe to this wherever you can. And if you can leave me feedback via things like fanfiction.net, archiveofourown.org, or even my own website, ghostnobody.com. I always be appreciative of your comments, and I always love to see what you guys are thinking, especially of the tale that was told so long ago. And if you do visit ghostnobody.com, check out Storm Rider. You know, if magical humans, big sulky dragonesses, big wolf girls, orcs and elves, and little magical vampires and things like that is your bag, check it out. I'm pretty sure you'll enjoy it. Also, while you're there, check over the ghostly link section. Pop in and pick yourself up a copy of Mortis from either from Amazon or from Smashwords. Help support me, keep me doing what I love, which is bringing unlikely and magical romance stories to you good people. So, without any further ado, let's get on with the show. Now, but first the usual legal disclaimer. I don't own AVP or anything to do with it. This is all fan fiction. I just keep the Huntresses to myself. Let's get on with the show. Chapter 42. The Breaker of Chains. All call signs, all call signs, priority one call. The enemy is breaching into the crew's family pod. There are children in there, I repeat, children in imminent danger. Spike's voice came to the intercom in a frenzy. He'd taken control of the ship's security room and was now currently hooked into all his security and camera feeds, so he had a direct view on everything. That was his speciality, after all. He was a combat hacker, an electronic warfare expert, and this is what he did. He was on the last shuttle come over because he'd been overriding the systems so that the team had an unobstructed entry. Now he was viewing everything in real time and feeding the team's intel through their priority comms channels. But this was an emergency call, all, all call signs call, a true emergency. Reaper, Tick, Alf and Inferno were close by when the call came through. Tick turned to Reaper and Inferno. Let's move. No one will harm those cubs while I draw breath. Tick roared, and the three charged down the corridor. Tick was incredibly fast on her feet, as was Inferno, and the sounds of their heavy footfalls echoed down the metal superstructure of the corridor. And thanks to his cybernetics, Reaper was able to outpace the two large Juta females and hit the door ahead of them, and led into the compartment that housed the entry to the crew's family quarters. They were housed in a different stasis pod to the regular colony as the privileged for their loved ones running the ships and taking them to their new home. This is Reaper. We're moving in to intercept. How many targets, Spike? He said into the comms. Twenty. Heavily armed. And they may have one of those nightmare assassins in there with them. Can't tell for sure. The dude was leading him about as a real vibe to him, though. Plus, he's carrying a sword. And as far as I can tell, those creepy fuckers are the only ones that do that. Spike said. Fuck, great. Fine, we're still going in. Send us back up when you can, Reaper said. Roger that. It's on the way. You have a team of guardian hunters coming to you. They've got Cuddlebug with them. If you can hold these fuckers till they arrive, you should be able to stop them getting to the crew's families, Spike said. Roger that. Going in, Reaper yelled, and he activated his eyes' thermal vision and heartbeat sensor systems. It instantly picked up the faint EM signals given off by a beating heart, and it could detect it through a six-foot concrete wall, so a metal bulkhead was really nothing to it. It instantly picked up a guard on the other side of the door, 
as the three of them had been stacked up to breach. He held up his hand to prevent Tick from breaching ahead of time. She watched him curiously, but Inferno put a large hand on her broad shoulder. Watch this, she whispered to her, and Tick glared at her in a moment. What's he doing? We need to get in there and protect those cubs, she snarled in a low voice. He's marking targets. There's a reason he's the best assassin in the universe. Just watch this. Just trust me, Inferno said, as Reaper took a few steps back from the door and then with blinding speed dashed forward and smashed his metallic fist straight through the metal, grabbing the person on the other side and with a flash of speed pulled their head through the small hole his fist had made in the solid metal. The man screeched in agony as the metal stripped the skin from his bones, having his head pulled through such a small hole. Reaper was already turning away and drawing his twin pistols rather than his pimp, which was now on its sling. Get ready, Inferno roared to Tick, and as the big female braced, Reaper charged forward, leaping forward in the very last moment with the tremendous strength afforded to him. He kicked it clean out of its mountings, locking his magnetic boots and foot to it as he did. Thanks to the armoured body of the screaming man trapped underneath it, lowering the friction, he rode it into the room like a giant metal surfboard. Reaper very rarely used this trick that his iron cybernetic hand afforded him, but when he did, it was devastating. Though only useful in close range, firing two directions at once with a large blow of plasma pistols was kind of carrying. Holy shit, Reaper's actually using the gun dance. It's been fucking ages since I've seen him do this, Spike yelled with an odd sense of happiness in his voice. It really only seemed to get with a sense of real joy when he saw him do stuff like this, and he always came up with odd names for Reaper's special talents. Using the pre-placed markers on his HUD, Reaper fired both guns blind, aiming at the pulsing circles in his HUD on both sides as he did, as he slid at high speed into the room, leaving a trail of sparks and blood in his wake. Now we're porking talking. Now I see why you chose him, young one. Tick roared, running into the room, her casters blazing, with Inferno hot on her heels, doing the same. The Guardian Corps plasma casters they were both using were perfect for this type of scenario, not really having to rely on gimbals to swivel the target, simply spinning in the air and losing shot after shot at the targets they picked out. Tick made a beeline for the crew with a cutting torch attempting to cut through the blast door that kept them out of the family quarters. She hit them like a meteor made of pure rage and fury. The first one never had a chance to even see her coming before she tore her head clean from her shoulders and then like a World Series baseball pitcher pitched the woman's head clean into the next one in the line knocking him straight onto his ass, before slamming a huge armoured foot straight down through the man's crotch utterly destroying his reproductive organs and smashing his pelvis into dust. It caused him so much pain that he projectile vomited inside his helmet. His pain didn't last long, though, because the same foot that ended his life as a male ended his life period as it slammed down on the side of his head, smashing his skull into paste. To her right, Inferno had a female scalathor by the tail and was swinging her around like a warhammer, till her tail tore free of her body, sending the screaming female barreling into a wall with such force that it snapped her neck clean on the axis. She slammed the bloody tail into the head of someone charging right at her, using it like a fleshy bat. As she turned, she saw Reaper vault into the air using the falling enemy like a springboard, twisting through an inverted spin, 
his head facing the ground and his feet facing the air like he was going to walk on the ceiling. His arms outstretched, holding two guns, he fired downwards as he spun over their heads, killing three enemies instantly in a hail of shot before landing with all the grace of a professional dancer on the other side. It made her heart flutter when she got to see this side of him. His grace and beauty and fury were like nothing she'd ever seen in an woman before. He was like a perfect killing machine. Brutal, relentless, efficient, and most importantly, unstoppable. But also filled with a grace and beauty. He made killing look like dancing. That's when he found himself squaring off against the nightmare assassin. It was a male human to his surprise, and he was holding a huge sabre-like sword made of black metal. There was a manic look in his eyes. It was a pure aura of menace radiating from him. Without a single word, the young human rushed him. The vast majority of the seekers were Yejuta, but it not, it seemed, non-Yejuta really stood out. It was like this power didn't belong in their hands somehow. But then, having said that, his beloved marcher was now one, and now one of the most powerful, and the most powerful one that had ever lived was indeed a human. Reaper had never seen anything like it. The way he moved was impossible. The speed and strength of his motions were incredible. It was all Reaper could do to track him. Even with his augmented senses, he was having a hell of a time. Again and again, the wicked blade glanced off his armour and off his arm, looking for a weakness, as Reaper fired off shot after shot, hitting nothing but air. The man's eyes were bright with bloodlust, but he couldn't help see something else deep, lurking deep in there too, like a second mind hiding behind the first. It was a quiet presence, but one that screamed in fear and pain at the same time. That wicked blade tore chunks out of his armour, and he glanced around. Tick and Inferno were busy, too busy helping him, being run ragged by the others. He was going to have to do this on his own. His rage flared with Reaper, heard a quiet voice in his mind. Please save me, it whispered. It was like a signal flare going off in the back of his mind. It was so loud that he never saw the blade until it was too late and hit him with such force that it actually surprised him, but not as much as the ornate hilt sticking out of his chest or the fact that he could no longer feel his heartbeat in his chest or in his head. It's a quiet thing, death. Really quiet. Like all the sounds just vanish from existence. Like you could hear everything and nothing all at once. The blade had cut his heart clean in two. Stopped his blood flow in one fell swoop. It had cleaved right through his armour, his reinforced ribcage, his organs and his back like it was made of paper and he'd never seen it coming. So this was it. This was how he dies finally. All this time fighting the odds battling against the injustices of the universe, and he was done in by a blade to the heart. How oddly poetic. His entire body suddenly felt like lead, and before he knew it he was on his knees. Don't feel bad. You weren't strong enough either. At least you get to be free, to be happy, that small voice that had called out to him said in the back of his mind. The only sound in a silent world as he slumped to the floor. He couldn't even hear Inferno's blood-curdling screams when she realised what was happening as Spike told her that he had flatlined. He couldn't lay flat on his back because of the large blade through his chest. 
up until the manically grinning human males pulled it free and then dove for cover as both Tick and Inferno charged him. Though he couldn't hear it, he could see that he was laughing. Oh, goddess, he was going to have to leave Tashara and march now. And that hit him hard. No, no, I don't want to go. I want to stay with you both. He tried to scream, but his mouth refused to be. Others burst into the room now, led by Cuddlebug, who moved like lightning after the nightmare assassin. Tashara scooped up his limp body into her arms and tore her mask off. He could see the fear and heart-wrenching pain in her bright eyes. She was screaming at the top of her lungs, but he couldn't hear a word she was saying. I'm so sorry, Tashari. My love, I failed you so completely. All I wanted was to make you and Marcha happier than you could have ever wished for, to drown you both in joy. But now here I am, causing you pain again, pain that you should never feel. I'm so fucking sorry. Please, please forgive me. I can't hold on for you, my treasure. Goodbye, my purest of hearts. I will always love you, and I will watch over you both as always. Goodbye, my love, he said inside his mind as his lips didn't move, except to let the air escaping from him form the words, Goodbye. He could feel his life leaving his body and slowly, while Tashara's tears rained down on him, greyness set in and he slipped slowly and silently into the darkness beyond. Are you giving up, young Aiden? A voice called to him in the darkness. He was sweet and powerful at once. In a way, it kind of reminded him of the sultry voice Tashara used when she was really in the mood and badly wanted to get him into bed. Do I have a choice? I'm dying, he said sadly, feeling the pureless grief and misery welling up in his heart. Actually, you're already dead, the voice replied softly, but in a matter-of-fact kind of way. Huh? he exclaimed, and when he was looking around, he found himself back in the room with the fight coming to an end, the weight of the Guardian Corps and spirits having crushed the remaining forces. The only one left standing was the nightmare assassin that killed him, and he was now facing off against Cuddlebug, and as fast as he was, he just couldn't break through her defence. But his eyes were drawn to Tashari, who was cradling his lifeless body and screaming with all her might. She was drenched now in his blood and it felt really odd to be looking down on his own body. She was cradling him against her chest and screaming like a child who had broken its favourite toy. She had her face buried in his chest and periodically shook him like she could somehow shake him back to life. An anguish like he'd never imagined crashed through his heart as he watched his powerful and strong huntress cradling his lifeless body, clinging to hope like it was the air that she breathed, and desperately wanted to run and show her that it would be okay. But it wouldn't now, would it? Not for her. Somehow he, he heard what he thought through the comm network. This is spiked to all call signs. Reaper has fallen, I repeat. Reaper has fallen. We have a spirit down. Let the record show Reaper is KIA as of this time. He's dead, Spike said, his voice flooded with pain and anger. It was so much so that it was barely above a whisper. 
From somewhere in the ship there was a second bellow of raw pain and anguish, and he knew in an instant that this was Marcha. Somehow he'd felt her pain in the same way that he could feel Tashara's right now. It was like a hot... Caught with a hot knife made of pure misery. Moments later, she crashed into the room along with the other seekers like Rose, Ryan and even Jack, to name a few. They appeared to have what looked like a black-scaled draconis in tow with them. Instantly, the seekers went for the nightmare assassin being held at bay by Cuddlebug. But Marcher made a beeline right for him and dropped to her knees before throwing her long arms around their huntress and screaming between them. His lifeless body was clamped tight between her and Dishari as their grief hit him like a wave. The pair of them desperately clawed at his dead body as if trying to coax him back to life, to bring their light back into their lives. He could feel their pain washing through him and it destroyed him from within. Please don't hurt them. Please, let them be happy. This pain of theirs, I can't bear it. Elden yelled. Aidan yelled as he tried in vain to hug his girls, only to have his arms pass right through them like they were made of smoke. So I ask you again, young Aidan, are you giving up? That voice asked inside his head. It was like hearing an echo from multiple directions at once. What choice do I have? If it were up to me, I'd spill every drop of my blood a billion times just to make those two safe, to make them happy, to keep them free, he said bitterly. Now that's what I wanted to hear. Do you know why that nightmare assassin went straight for you? The voice asked. Because I was the closest and I went for him. Aidan said and suddenly a woman materialised next to him. A huge, proud and incredibly beautiful Yejuta woman who looked like a model and a Valkyrie all at once. No, because she, he was scared of you. He sensed the same thing in you that Jack did. That you were different from normal humans. Very different. Your spirit never gives up, no matter what happens to you. Even now, here in death, here you are, standing over the ones you love. And all you want to do is take their pain away and have it for yourself, so that they don't have to hurt, she said. Isn't that what anyone who truly loves someone does? Aidan asked, his heart aching as he saw March and Tashara bawling their eyes out. Tick Ellis now stood next to them looking both sad and angry. She looked utterly lost, like she truly didn't know what to do. He never imagined a warrior like her would look that way. Surely she'd seen more death than most. Long ago, a prophecy was written about three souls that loved each other so fiercely that not even death would ever have the power to separate them. These souls were desperate, destined to bring peace to the universe. They would stand as a shining beacon to others of what can be achieved through unity and love. That only these three would be strong enough to win the final battle against the creeping darkness in the final hour. That only they had the power to unite everyone in the cause to stand against the dark. You, Tashare, and Marcha are those three souls, the woman said, and Aidan looked at her like she was crazy. I'm not that person. I'm just a broken man who fell in love with a Xeno Queen and a Yejuta Huntress, he said softly. And yet his love was strong enough to bring two bitter rivals together and not only find love in him, but one another, she said. 
and he flinched at that one. Like it or not, Aiden, you are the beacon, the one the universe has waited for for so very, very long. It is time for you to take your place, Aiden, but it is your choice at the end of the day. You have done far more than enough in your zealous defence of the innocent to earn your eternal rest and reward, if that is what you wish. If you choose that, you cannot take any more, then you will. no one will judge you, least of all me. I have watched you your entire life, and I have seen over and over again the pain that you have suffered for innocent strangers who never even got to thank you for the part of yourself that you lost in their defence. This is a choice that you and you alone have to make and bear, in mind that it is a final one. There are no take-backs. You cannot change your mind once it is made. It is final, the woman said, and only now did Aiden recognise her from the little statue that Tashara had in her quarters. This was Pyre, the goddess of the eternal hunt herself. The goddess gestured with her right hand and a gateway appeared ringed in blue and black smoke. And then next to her appeared a pair of silver and gold swords hovering in the air. Okay, young one, so here are your choices. Through that gate is paradise, my paradise, the eternal hunt, an honour given to only the strongest and purest of hunters and huntresses. Though contra to popular belief, it isn't just for Yejuta. It is given to those that love them too, and that have stood tall and proud at their sides, so that they are not separate from their love in death. What is paradise without your truest love to enjoy it with, after all? So this is my reward to you for loving my daughter. Step through here, and the hunt will be forever yours. You simply have to wait for her to join you in time, and your beauty queen will as well. The three of you together forever in paradise. But do this, and they will be left alone without your love, till their time comes, that is. Thank to Marsha's blessing... They can visit you from time to time, but you cannot truly be together until their time comes to lay down and join you in the finality of death, Pia said. That really did sound good. So after all the killing he'd done and after all the lives he's taken, he'd still got to go to heaven? Somehow that didn't seem fair to him. What's option number two? he asked and Pia smiled, raising her mandibles a sly knowing smile. Take these swords, one in each hand, and they will unleash your true power. You will return to the world of the living, but you will be forever changed. The flame that you've always felt in the depth of your soul will unlock. It will show you who you've truly been this entire time. You will raise to be what you were always meant to be, she said. So, let me get this straight. If I take those swords... I get to go back to being alive with Matra and Tashara, he said. Aiden asked and Paya nodded. You see, the darkness unleashed something long ago that's been pulling the strings all this time. Something that not even my most powerful dream warriors can defeat. Something that only the Trinity can take out. So, hey, wait, don't you want to know what you'll become? Paya exclaimed in surprise as Aiden made a beeline right for the swords. Don't care if it's a fucking giant lizard. As long as I get to hold my loves again, cannot go to paradise knowing that I left them in pain. My place is at their side and nowhere else. 
How can I deserve paradise when my death caused the one I wish to share it with to endure pain like this? I'm going back. Do with me what you will, Lady Pyre. I'm your loyal servant to the end as long as it keeps me with them. Aidan said, reaching out for the sword with both hands, and Pyre smiled broadly. The Counts of the Eternal really did choose right with you, didn't they? Go then. Died a human, now rise an angel, she said, and Aidan grabbed the swords. Pain like he never imagined tore through his entire body. Felt like his very soul was lit on fire. Aidan screamed but endured it. There wasn't a pain he wouldn't endure for the two that he loved. If this was what he needed to do to get back to them, then he'd endure it forever if need be. Pyre began to chant and suddenly she wasn't alone. There were several goddesses and gods here, all looking different. One looked like a giant tree creature with a face that kind of looked stuck into its trunk that was surrounded by animals. One stood next to a huge black horse carrying a raven on her hand, and they began to chant. Born a human, died a human, love binds him, love frees him. Rise first of your kind, rise dark guardian angel. They chanted over and over again, and suddenly Aidan felt like he was stuffed into a jam jar or something, till he realised it was actually his soul being stuffed back into his body. Tashari and Marchi screamed and screamed in grief and pain, cradling their dead male in their arms. Both were in a pain they never could have imagined. Suddenly his lifeless body just twitched. What the fuck? I got a heartbeat from Reaper! Spike's voice literally screamed into the comms, knee bursting their eardrums. But as the words sank in, they both froze, as a singular ray of hope pierced their hearts at once like a dagger. They both looked down at him slowly, and to their utter surprise, his body began to glow like it had been lit on fire. Soon it became hot, too hot to touch, and they both dropped him in alarm. But he didn't fall. His body just hung there. In mid-air, as white flames around his body suddenly grew brighter and brighter and brighter, until they couldn't look directly out him with, at him without their visors. His remaining armour actually melted away like it was made of water, and now his naked body hung in the air. What's happening? Dashara yelled in alarm, as the others began to look as well. Cuddlebug was currently trying to tear the darkness out of the captured nightmare assassin, so she didn't turn. But Jack did, and his mouth fell open as he did. C could it be? he exclaimed, as Aidan's body floated upright into a position that made him look like he was hanging on an invisible crucifix. His cybernetic arm burned up as it did, as did his leg and the eye, and judging by his now hollow chest, some of his ribs too. Marcher and Tashara's utter astonishment... His arm regrew out of the shoulder. So did his leg. So did his eye. But this one wasn't blue. It was pure gold. White glowing symbols began to appear on his flesh like they were being drawn by unseen hands. Yejuta, Human, Draconis, Scalifor, Belladon, and hell, even Zeno. It was like all languages were being written onto his body, covering every inch of his skin like tattoos that glowed, until you could barely see his skin beneath them. Out of nowhere, a pair of swords appeared in either of his hands. 
but they weren't the things that drew everyone's attention. It was the two huge, enormous, black-feathered wings that grew out of his back and reached from above his head to the backs of his heels. Awaken, our dark angel. It is time for you to fulfil your purpose. Lead the forces of light and destroy this darkness once and for all. Pyre's voice, along with what sounded like a whole chorus of others, sang inside his head, and suddenly an odd sensation of falling hit him, and he landed on his feet with the grace of a cat, despite not being fully conscious yet. The first thing happened as his mind began to wake up as two huge forms crashed into him, but rather than knock him over like they normally would have, they simply stopped dead like they'd run into a brick wall made of flesh. His flesh. Alive! Our male is alive! Tashara screamed at the top of her lungs, and Marcher screamed it as well as they both sandwiched in between them, screaming and weeping in the purest of joy they could feel, and he could feel it like it was his own. In fact, their feelings flowed through him like a river. Every joy, fear and hope they both had was now his too. His limbs now worked again, and it felt like his voice returned to him. In fact, his entire self returned as if somebody just slowly flicked a switch. He slowly moved his arms and placed his swords at his sides, as he wrapped his arms around both Marcher and Tashar and held them back, held them so tightly. I'm back, my hearts. I came back. Told you I'd never leave you. And I meant it. My place is here, at your sides, where I belong. Not even paradise can lure me from you, he said, stroking them softly. Paradise? You you walked away from the eternal hunt? For us? Tashar exclaimed in both alarm and shock. And he stroked her mandibles before kissing each and every one, before... Moving on to her mouth, then he turned to Marcher and did the same. You are my paradise. How can I walk through those gates without you at my sides? He said softly, and both of them welled up again, and suddenly they realised the enormity of what he'd just given up to give come back to them. He had walked away from heaven, from paradise, to come back to them. Oh, Aidan, my male, my pure love! Marcher cried, holding tight to his back between his wings. And that's when he hit him, too. He had fucking wings now. He could hear, feel and hear her rustling every feather like it was a sensitive fingertip. He felt his wings ruffle, and that in itself was an odd sensation. But then he noticed the bright white aura glowing around Marcher like white fire, and also the black aura growing around the captured nightmare assassin that had killed him. He felt a sudden pull in his heart towards the young human. Excuse me a moment, my loves. There's something I must do, he said as the pull got stronger and stronger like a magnet. They stepped back slightly and looked at him strangely. In fact, everyone was staring at him open-mouthed now. He didn't have time to waste on that, though. He felt Cuddlebug was in danger. Walking over to the prit, prone man pinned down under the huge belladon female. He could see their auras locked in a battle between them. It looked like a floating yin-yang symbol between them. As the darkness and light did battle. But the light was shrinking. He had to do something. And then acting on pure instinct he reached in between the two and grabbed the orb. And with both his hands he pulled the two sides apart. 
and with a pull that felt like he was reeling in a fish, he tore the dark side towards him, causing a black shadow to be torn from the prone human body, human male's body, kicking and screaming. It morphed into a black-haired woman that wriggled and fought against his grasp. A pure steel. You bastard! You lowly scum-sucking human! How dare you interfere! She screeched, writhing and fighting against his grip, and that's when her eyes locked onto his wings and a look of pure horror and fear crossed her face. No! No, it can't be! The angel of death is real! The fucking council finally made it happen! They called forth the fucking dark angel. Please, please wait. We can make a deal. She exclaimed in a voice dripping in pure fear. But Aiden wasn't listening. It was like an instinct a million years in the making was burning in his soul. He reached out with his free left hand and his golden blade flew up to him, called to him like a loyal dog. No sooner did it hit his hand than he pushed the blade straight through her heart with a pure cold attachment. His actions were purely mechanical. A whole body burst into bright blue flames that lit the whole room. I, Aidan Scott, named first among angels by the gods, called for my eternal rest, to defend against the darkness, hereby banish you back to the hell that you crawled out of. Burn under the weight of your sins, evildoer. May the pain of the innocent you killed burn your soul for eternity. Aidan said in a cool, calm, emotionless voice. Emotionless voice, like he said it a million times. The skull soul screamed and burst before being dragged through a hole in the floor that opened up into a pit of purest black that swallowed it whole, leaving nothing behind. Everyone just stared at him in utter shock. Aidan watched as the white light that had been hidden underneath the black appeared, and he reached out and took it in his hands. Slowly he knelt down and placed it against the prone human male's chest. I release you, little one. Be free now, and reclaim what is yours. Come, walk with us in the light again, he said, and by pure instinct. And with that, the young human and Cuddlebug both opened their eyes. While the human blinked a few times, Cuddlebug's eyes flew open like she was there were springs in her lid. Why is there a gorgeous naked human leaning over me? Am I dead? Oh my God, I'm in heaven, aren't I? She shrieked in surprise, rolling backwards out of the way before jumping to her feet and staring at him, her huge eyes roaming over his naked body. And Aidan suddenly felt a blush burn down his skin as she realised she was right. He was indeed standing bollock naked in front of a room full of his peers. Out of instinct, he instantly wrapped his wings around himself, hiding his nudity partially. Alice chuckled, but there was a look of pure joy in her eyes. Well, it's not hard to see what his girls see in him now, is it, my love? Reminds me of you in so many ways, she said, grinning at Jack, who just grinned back at her. Well, maybe except the two big fucking black wings, my heart star. But if you have a thing for feathers, maybe we could roll pay you hunting down an angel sometime, he said, making Tick purr very loudly. Tashara and Marcher, Marcher instantly wrapped themselves around him. Don't you dare stare at our male. His beauty is for us alone. Tashara bellowed at the surprised Baradon, who shrank back under her fury. Sorry, I didn't mean to. He was just right there, she exclaimed. Then she seemed to remember the prone human male on the floor, and she quickly scrambled back over to him. 
Leroy, Leroy, are you okay? She exclaimed, lifting the little frightened human male up so he was sitting, and he nodded and looked up at her. I, I think so. What happened? he asked. I was fighting Morgan to free you, remember? But it started to go bad. And then nowhere, out of nowhere, this giant hand made a fire came in and tore out of you like it was nothing. Cuddlebug exclaimed, and they both looked at Aiden as Marcher quickly took off her collar and clipped it to his neck, which instantly covered his entire naked body in armoured scales, hiding his nudity from sight. Even his wings got armoured, turning the feathers into razor-like blades on his back. Aiden glanced at Marcher. My body is designed to work best naked. But I want no one but me and our huntress to see your joys. They are hard won, and they are ours. She said, sounding selfish, but it made him smile. Thank you for saving me, Mr. Angel, Leroy said in a very quiet voice, sound with what, filled with what sounded like grief and shame. Aiden just smiled down on him, crouched down and helped him up to his feet. I thank you for that, but it wasn't me truly. The thanks go to this fine dream warrior here. It would have been too easy for her to kill you and to purge Morrigan from you, but she risked her very soul to try and remove her, and to save you. Your soul meant more to her than making it easy, he said, indicating Cuddlebug, who was standing nearby, wringing her hands in front of her abdomen. And Leroy, who appeared to be about eighteen, turned to look at her. Thank you, Lady Dream Warrior. I will be forever grateful to you. You saved my life and my soul, he said in an incredibly soft voice. He lowered his hood and she showed her that he was a white-skinned human. He had big, watery, dark brown eyes and seriously dark blonde hair. Cuddlebook looked like she was about to explode. And she danced about on the spot. Well, either that or she really needed a pee, one or the other with a loud squee noise that she made before grabbing him up into her arms and running off with a confused-looking human in a bear hug. Kind of gave her away. Aiden couldn't help but chuckle at the big belladon female as she scampered off, carrying her human prize and heading for the shuttles. Tashara and Marcha turned to see him, and he saw them both looking him over. "'What happened to you, my love?' Marcha asked, and he smiled gently and stroked her mandibles. "'I died.' Stone Cold Dead stood over you watching the whole thing like it was another person. And then Pyre showed up, and she gave me a choice. I could call it a day, take my final reward, walk through the gates and go on to the eternal hunt for all the good that I've done in life. Or I could take these swords and be forever changed and come back. I didn't even wait to find out what I would be before I picked the swords up. There's no way I could walk through those gates without both of you on my arms. And when the time comes, and I finally do step through there, it's going to be where I belong, in your arms, he said, and both March and Tashara teared up and threw themselves at him again. You gave up heaven. You gave up the eternal hunt for us, Tashara wailed, and Aiden cradled his very emotional huntress in his arms. It was strange seeing either of them like this, especially her. She was usually so stoic, but now that a dam had been broken in her, seeing the true depth of a male's love for her, he would walk away from heaven's gates just to spend another second in her arms. That's when they become aware of the group that was forming up to their left, and they saw, turned to saw Jack and his lot standing before them. 
as one they all saluted. Long have we awaited this day. Lady Pyre told us it would be our job to defend the innocent and drive back the darkness, but to fully destroy it we would need a weapon like no other, a living weapon with a soul made of pure fire. She called it the Living Trinity, a weapon forged in a fire made of love. Now we see what she meant. It's you three, three beings, no one the same, all carrying the same heart and wearing the same aura, an aura of gold-white flame. Only together would this weapon have the power to finally draw out the Guardians of the Dark and to destroy it, paving the way for a peace that the universe has never truly known. You three are that weapon. Our trinity. Jack declared, and as one the entire Guardian Corps presents snapped to attention and their fists slammed against their breastplates. Trinity! They chorused in perfect sync, like they practised it for a lifetime. And only one who looked as confused as Aidan to Shara Marcher was Rose, who, while she was saluting, looked around in confusion. That actually made Aidan kind of happy. At least he wasn't the only one who was confused as fuck. But they still had a job to do. All right, people, we still got people to save and undead fucks to clear out, so let's get to it, shall we? We can chat about this development later on, back on the Sword of Silence, Aidan said, and there were nods of agreement all round. Instantly, Jack and Tick were barking orders at their respective sides of the clan, sending their warriors out to fight. Suddenly, a thought struck Aidan, and he noticed a camera moving on his right, scanning the room. Reaper to Spike, you receiving me? said using it in the built-in comm system in March's armour. You're alive. You're fucking alive. Spike bellowed in pure joy nearly burst, blowing out his eardrums. Yeah, I'm alive, dude. Do me a favour, will you? He said. Anything, boss. Anything, Spike replied. Destroy the camera footage from this room? He said and instantly Spike got it. Roger that, boss. I'm on it. Go in dark. He said, and Aidan gave him a thumbs up to the camera, knowing that he was watching. Aidan looked down at the two swords he now had, and he felt a very strange connection to them, like they'd always been a part of him. Holding them tight in his hands, he looked down at the newly grown arm. How long it had been since he had felt flesh and bone there? In fact, how long it had been since he had not felt the presence of metal in his body at all? Granted, he was looking at it through armour, but he could still feel it a blood rushing through it, the pulses pounding below the flesh that he now had, and he couldn't help but smile. He was whole again, and more than that, he now had a pair of fucking wings to contend with. He made a mental note of, to himself to find Shay and ask her, how the hell does one contend with having bloody big wings jutting out of your back? As they left the crew family area, he noticed that Martin and Tashara were now on full-on guarding mode, Neither of them were more than five steps from him at any one point, like they were orbiting him. It was both flattering and kind of ticky to deal with. He checked his recovered pimp and the pistols a few times. He now was basically walking armoury with guns and swords dangling off him all over the place. We've got the undead pinned in the main mess hall. We've got the fuckers in there with them locked in. Waiting your orders, Reaper. Tank came through the vo voice came through the comms. Roger that. We're on our way. What about the remaining soldiers? Reaper asked. Ah, oh, they're fucked, laddie. 
Stupid fuckers try to make a break for it and Dassault steered them right into his wife's sights. Swear that boy knows how to get that girl's tail swishing. Dang said Reaper actually heard the smile in his voice. What can I say? I'm a girl with simple tastes, Whisper said bluntly. Just as I'm glad I'm a simple boy then, Dassault said over the comms and then he heard the rarest thing of all, Whisper laughing. The group arrived to find the spirits holding the door to the mess hall. Tank was changing out the bag on Bertha while Moodstone watched his back and the others stood ready. All of them looked up as they saw Reaper approaching and as one the whole group snapped to attention. Spirits never die. They hold the line. Moodstone yelled and a cheer came from the others. Reaper patted her on the shoulder and saw her grinning at him through the mask. And then she lost her battle to hug him. So glad you're not dead, boss. She said softly. That makes two of us, he said, returning it. Tang stepped up as his girl let go of Reaper and planted a huge hand on his shoulder. I think dying and coming back to life is good enough excuse to let you have a hug from me. Scaly Angel would out under pound you into the deck plate for it. Well, that and I don't fancy having to have me a girl pull me arms out of me arse after your girls get done with me for it. He said with a huge grin shooting a look at Marcher and Inferno who just smiled back at him. Holy fucking shit, you actually do have wings, Ice exclaimed, looking him over, walking around him in a circle. Yeah, and a buttload of tattoos to go with him as well, he said. Well then, you're going in for a full medical when we're back on board the sword, she said, and Reaper cocked his head. You just want to see my bloody wings, don't you, he said, and she grinned. Hell yes, how often is it you get to see a real-life bloody angel? I mean, granted, we got black-skinned ones scampering all over the place, screeching away in that cute-as-hell way they do, but a real-life heaven-sent one? Yeah, that's a no, she said. Reaper sighed. He got the feeling that this angel gig was going to be one hell of half being gawked at and the other half would be paperwork. This is to Cal. The Halcraft stand ready to hunt on the far side of the mess hall as to Section 5, to Cal said into the comms. Roger that. On oh my mark, everyone watch a crossfire. Don't want any blue on blue here. Close quarter protocols are in effect, Reaper said, and with that he counted down to zero. As he hit zero, both doors flew open at once and all of them rushed into the mess hall. Reaper didn't even hesitate. For some reason, though he reached for his sword before his guns, he hadn't even realised he'd drawn them, and not his pistols, until he was in the room. But his blades were far more effective against the undead than any firearm, because they seemed to have the added benefit of setting whatever the hell they cut ablaze, with a fire so powerful that it turned the target to ash in seconds. Very carefully directed bolts of plasma crisscrossed the room from both casters and rifles alike, as all of the special forces did their jobs. It was like a deadly disco in there, but it was a fight that not even the undead could win. In a matter of minutes, they were crushed beneath the combined weight of the force of the best special forces in the universe, all acting together as one well-oiled machine. Clear, Reaper bellowed as he scanned the room, and a call was picked up and echoed across the room by the others. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm detecting zero enemy presence remaining on the ship at this time, so I'm declaring a complete and utter victory here. And what's more... Other than the crew we lost before we showed up, we have zero civilian casualties. All crew members and monitors showing green. Come on home, people. The fight is won. 
Queen Bee said, and there was a huge cheer from everyone on board. It didn't take them long to dispose of the undead corpses, thanks to Reaper's swords that set everything on fire. Once all presence of the virus was destroyed, and the ship was returned to the grateful crew, who wouldn't stop singing their praises, the team headed back to their ship with two ex-Nightmare assassins in tow. They were going to be questioned to find out what they knew, and to be fair, they would be a goldmine of information on the enemy's plan. Though it would be a gentle thing rather than an interrogation. Besides, given the way that Cuddlebugger still hadn't let go of Leroy yet, Reaper wouldn't like to imagine what would happen to anyone who tried to hurt the nervy and surprisingly gentle human with his big guardian around. Cuddlebug might look all sweet and nervous, but she was still a 600-pound wall of muscle with horns and arms that made Yajutas look like twigs. Pissing her off wasn't going to be the best idea in the universe on any day of the week. The Reaper couldn't help but smile at seeing her holding him in her lap and petting his head like a happy owner petting a cat. Leroy seemed to be a mixed feeling about it. On one hand, he seemed to be enjoying the protective and reassuring close contact of the overprotective Belladon female. On the other hand, he seemed to be a bit concerned about being perceived as non-masculine by everyone else by being planted in a girl's lap. Reaching out, he put a hand on his shoulder and leaned in close to him and whispered in his ear, Don't worry about it, kid. Ain't anyone stupid enough to look down on you in this group. The guys around us know the joys and happiness of a strong girl. You ain't less of a man for being happy about it, so just relax, okay? He said, and the young human smiled at him, looking relieved. Thank you, Mr. Reaper, for everything you did. You saved my very soul there, he said, and Reaper patted his shoulder, as both March and Tashara moved up and embraced Reaper from both sides, cementing the we-don't-judge-love-size-just-strength point in Leroy's mind. Don't mention it, kiddo. Just do something good with it, okay? He said, and Leroy nodded eagerly. I've already promised to tell Mr. Jack everything I've known or heard. He promised in return he'd give me a place in Clan Mason, that he'd show me how to be strong. He said I'd be a good soul knight, whatever that is. He said Marcher nodded approvingly. That would just make you just like my beauty queen here. Don't worry, kiddo. Jack Mason is one of the best human beings I know. You follow his example and you won't go wrong at all. You'll have you set on the path to self-redemption in no time. Just you watch. You'll have your chest puffed out and your head held high in no time. Though you might have to watch out. Hold it too high and a certain pretty Belladon girls are going to be seeing those cute curls waving about and ain't going to be resist giving you head pats. Or in the case of one particular one, running you off to cuddle you somewhere, he said, shooting a grin at Cuddlebug, which you could now see in the face where the mask of her armour was lowered. Cuddlebug snorted and looked shy as they unearthed their devious master plan. Suddenly Rose popped up out of nowhere. Just in that way she seemed to. Oh, stop teasing the boy Reaper. He so irresistibly tacked it to Belladon girls as radiating off him like sunshine. Any good tamer can see that. But that's not his fault, is it? I mean, goddess, look at him. He's trying as hard as he can to stop himself from glowing like a light bulb at the pretty girl who's grabbed him, she said with an evil smile that Reaper saw and instantly picked up on to run with. He really liked this girl, and now he knew why. She was like a slightly more evil version of him. Yeah, I know. The boy can't help being irresistibly attracted to big, strong Belladon girls. He's just trying to spare his blushes, you know. Like, me knows 
it means when a human blushes like that. But they really like you, he said, and Leroy's eyes turned into dinner plates, as did Cuddlebug's. She leaned her big head down to investigate him properly, and right on cue it made him blush bright red. You think me pretty? You like Belladon? She asked, spinning him around to look at him right in the eye. You could practically cook bacon on Leroy's cheeks, right? They were that red. He nodded silently. You're pretty. The way you fought the goddess for me. It was amazing. No one's ever done that before for me, let alone anything like that. He said very, very shyly. And both Reaper looked at one another in amazement. They'd both been joking, but they accidentally pried a kernel out into the open. Cuddlebug's eyes teared up and she squeezed Leroy tight. And not tight enough to hurt him, thankfully. Me happy. Finally me finds pretty human prize. Me make you happy human, you see. No one hurt you again. Me no let them. She said, and to their surprise, Leroy wrapped his arms around her large neck and clung to her for dear life. Thank you, he said softly. Suddenly both Reaper and Rose got a hand planted on their shoulders, and Jack poked his head in between them. Playing Cupid again, I see. Come on, let's get back to the sword. We have a lot to discuss. And you've inverted to just make my job a lot easier, a lot harder. Have you ever seen a Belladon with a human lover? He said, and both of them shook their head. You think you're Judah territorial? You ain't seen nothing till you see a Belladon girl that finally finds a human willing to look at them? Oh, boy. That kid's into some serious pampering if he incepts her off her, and we ain't going to be able to pry him out of her arms with a damn crowbar, or even a Xeno queen. He said, and the three of them looked at the pair, still embracing. Yeah, he's taking that offer. Both Aiden and Rose said in perfect unison, and Jack laughed. Come on, Angel, fly us home. He said, and with that, Aiden turned towards the cockpit of the shuttle. It was indeed time to go home. Yes, yeah, so that was chapter 42, ladies and gentlemen. And Reaper becomes an angel. But what will happen next? Will they take the fight to the darkness? Will we find out the secrets of the universe? Only going to be one way to find out the answer to those questions and so many more. Going to have to tune in next time. So until next time, this is Ghost Nobody signing off and saying, I'll see you next time.